to the Malt Whiskey Trail podcast. This podcast is best enjoyed, responsibly of course, with a dram, the traditional measure of scotch. Our shows can be found at www.maltwhiskeytrail.com where you can also plan your trip to the world's first malt whiskey trail. Now, let's get into the show. Slanchava! This week we join acclaimed writer Ian Buxton for a Book Week Scotland special. We discuss how he began his career in whisky, his popular book 101 Whiskies to Try Before You Die, and his response to the often asked question, what's your favourite dram? Hi Ian, um, lovely to see you. Can you tell me a bit about yourself and what you do? Wow, okay, Arosha, yes, well, hi, good morning, nice to meet you. Uh, and uh, good morning or good afternoon or whatever to anyone who's who's looking in. Um, what about me? Uh, I think these days I would characterise myself uh, virtually full-time writing and a little bit of consultancy work, which I've always done. So that, that carries on in the background. Over the years, um, we've evolved to this position, having done uh, a number of things, having started out in, in regular corporate life, but mainly in the drinks industry. Uh, Corporate life and I parted company, I suppose, in the early 90s. Corporate didn't work for me and I really didn't work for corporate, as it turned out. And uh, I then pursued the life of the the freelancer. And as is the way of these things, you have to be flexible and try and reinvent yourself. So for a number of years, we ran a consultancy practice in Edinburgh um, working a lot of, for distillery clients, working on a lot of uh, brand development work, strategy work, and in particular on building and designing visitor centres, uh, not just in Scotland, but actually working on projects in Russia, in France, and a, and a major project for uh, Bacardi in, in San Juan in Puerto Rico. So I did a lot of that work. During that time, because I was never happy with the quality of the copywriters I could get for uh, those interpretive centers, not just distilleries, but we were working on museums, historic homes and so forth. So I ended up writing more and more of the copy myself, whether that was for text panels or interpretive information or going up to guidebooks, videos and so forth. And that progressively evolved and I started doing more writing. Um, then life changed, we moved on, the, the consultancy business sort of ran down somewhat and we weren't employing as many people. So I began to write more and more full time and that's pretty well what I do now. Plus, as I say, um, some consultancy work going on in the background. So it's really now full time writing. I was going to say that, I was to say your books have been such a big success in the past couple of years um, and are very much accessible to kind of non whiskey drinkers and, and non whiskey experts. Just to name a couple 101 Whiskies to Try Before You Die, um, Whiskies Galore. But how did those books come about? Um, how did it come about? There's a, there's a slightly dark story about that, it's a true story. The, the breakthrough book for me, I suppose, um, in terms of of sales and popular acceptance was that the first 101 whiskies to try before you die. And that was actually published in 2010. Uh, and, the, and the strange thing about that was I'd actually had the idea for it uh, a few years before that. Um, up until then, all I'd written was that was that little book about whiskey I mentioned and a, and a 
I did a corporate I did a big corporate history for Jewers, but mm. while that was on sale, it was primarily for internal consumption. So that was the, the history of John Dewar and Company, but that was a commission book for that company. So I'd had this idea um, <clears throat> to make a more populist, unashamedly populist, uh, demystifying book about whiskey. And I called it 101 Whiskies to Try Before You Die, because I thought we should try and simplify it. And I'd had that idea, I suppose, in 2007 or 2008, something like that. And I offered it uh, as an idea because I'm still very, very busy with my consultancy work, to a couple of small publishers, because I thought it was quite a modest little thing. And um, the, the one publisher who, who I knew quite well and was quite friendly with, small Scottish publisher, said, you know, over a sort of liquid lunch, really, that, that, that's, that's a fabulous idea, Ian. Um, I can't possibly take that on, because if it's the success, I think it could be, we couldn't cope with the volume. We couldn't handle the cash flow. We simply couldn't be responsible for promoting it in the way. And I thought, gosh, that's the nicest way of telling me that's just a stupid idea. <laughs> <laughs> and I just, I just, I really just thought this was the nicest possible brush off um, because publisher rejections can be notoriously brutal. And I thought there was somebody because we were face to face and I knew him and we were, we were friends. He was just being very kind and generous to say, we couldn't possibly cope with this because it could be so huge. And so I forgot about it and didn't do anything. And a couple of years later, I was asked by uh, a, a publisher to go with Charlie McLean, who I've known for years and years, and years known Charlie in Edinburgh, you know, since forever. And uh, Charlie had a new book coming out. He was launching it at the Aberdeen Book Festival. And they said, would I come to the Aberdeen Book Festival? and uh, share his events and, and introduce Charlie. And if the audience didn't have any questions, could I ask questions and, and generally manage the event? for them? So I said, yeah, that would be fun. And we did that. And afterwards we were all having dinner and they said, you know, you should write a book. And I said, well, funnily enough, I've got an idea of a book. And um, so uh, to cut a long story short, they then didn't take it on having been very enthusiastic about it, but they pointed me towards an agent and my agent um, then got, tons and tons of rejections actually from people this is 2010 and the reactions from the publishing industry was there are enough whiskey but we don't want any more whiskey books no more whiskey books. and fortunately Hachette took a gamble on it. it it did monstrously well in in, in 2010 and then again in 2011 because these books seem to have you know one or two year life but actually that book just keeps coming back and people want it renewed and refreshed so uh, every three years we do we work on a new edition so 101 whiskeys to try before you die which is the sort of core book sorry to go on um is now in its fourth edition and actually working on the fifth version the fifth edition which will come out in uh, 2022 um and that's then spun off to you know 101 world whiskeys 101 gins to try before you die 101 rums um and then i've gone on and uh, wrote the, the Whiskey's Galore travel book that you talk about, mm -hmm. managed to get uh, one of the most famous books about whiskey called Whiskey by a chap called Ernie S. McDonald from the 30s back into print. Mm -hmm. But you said a very interesting thing there. Should whiskey be part of, of the literary tradition, the literary corpus in, in Scotland? And that's kind of why I introduced the idea of, of Ernie S. McDonald's book, because there in 1930, he, he, in the depths of, of depression, in the depths of American Prohibition, he wrote a book, uh, a very, very passionate book about whiskey, 
And it's the first modern book about whiskey, the first book anyone wrote about whiskey from the point of view of the, of the drinker. And at much the same time, uh, two or three years later, Neil Gunn uh, wrote Whiskey in Scotland. So yeah, yeah. there have been strands there. Um, more, I guess, could be done by our present day literati to, to develop that and bring it forward. Uh, it's an interesting question. You know, what is the meaning of whiskey? What what does Scotland? What does whiskey mean to a nation? Is is there a philosophy of whiskey? And I think, or or is there a philosophical debate to be had about what whiskey means and what it means to to the spirit and soul of a nation? I mean, and not just Scotland. You know, what does whiskey mean to Kentucky, for example? Um, you know, that's that's hugely hugely important uh, to that sense of identity. Uh, and yeah, even even the subtlety of how you spell the word can cause. Yeah, it does. And of course, not many people know, but, you know, the famous 1908-1909 Royal Commission, which kind of set the basis for the modern industry that we live in today. This was the whole debate about, you know, what is whiskey? Um, it was mainly medical men on, on the commission and they spelt it with an E. Mm -hmm. So the Royal Commission on Whiskey was an EY. And it wasn't unknown for, for Scotch, Scotch brands to have an E in their name um, back at that time. And it, it's really sort of, in the last hundred years, we've we sent to the you know the E denotes America and the Y is 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 everybody else. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, this is an inevitable question, but out of your one hundred and one, and I'm sure you've tasted thousands and thousands of jams. But do you have a favourite that you quote, or do you? Well, have... I, I I have a favourite answer, which is by by favourite jam is the one you're about to buy me. Uh <laughs> That's the best response I've heard so far. <laughs> it's the one you're about to buy me. It's obviously, you know, it's very difficult. It, it is difficult. Um, you know, the, the 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 whiskey PR industry, not just in Scotch, but but you know, all of the industry. They're very generous, uh, and, and you know, they they if they think you're going to be influential or, or write about them, they look after you terribly well. And it is important, um, I think as a writer, as some independent commentator, to stand as apart from that as best you can. So, you know, there are whiskies that I like more than others, but I'm always very reluctant to say, oh, my favorite whiskey is X, um, partly because you don't want to be seen to be in, in that brand's pocket in any way, and, and you don't want to offend other people. Also, it's just what one person thinks, you know, and um, I've written often enough, and so people would know this, that, you know, I'm not the world's greatest fan of, of heavily peated whiskies. Mm -hmm. They just don't they just don't do it for me. That doesn't mean to say they aren't lovely whiskies. It doesn't mean to say they aren't very well made of their type. It doesn't mean to say that the, the people who make them don't know what they're doing. It doesn't mean to say that you that you 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 shouldn't drink them. If you like them, you know, on you go. If you'd like to listen to my full interview with Ian Buxton for Book Week Scotland, please visit the Malt Whiskey Trail website. Come back often. You can listen to our podcast on Spotify, follow us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook for the latest news, offers and exciting promotions. Cheerio and Drasta!